I'm Louis Lombardi. I play Skip Lapari on The Sopranos. You're listening to Pod A but to Pod A Bing. <laughs> You're creative. Okay. Uh, to Pod A Bing. Okay. I'm Louis Lombardi. I played Skip Lapari on The Sopranos, and you're listening to Pod A Bing. <laughs> I'm Vic Singh, and you're listening to Pot of Bing, a podcast that breaks down every episode of The Sopranos one at a time. Please remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get shows. And if you'd like a pictorial and caption companion to the podcast, follow at Pot of Bing on Instagram. And as always, thank you for listening and being a part of this amazing and surreal journey. This is a conversation I had with Louis Lombardi, who played FBI agent Skip Lipari on the show. Louis was so much fun to talk to. For most of the conversation, I felt as if I was in the car with him driving around like he did on the show. He joined me in studio for a sweeping conversation about his life, career, experiences from his time on The Sopranos, his feelings on Tom Brady, Biggie, and so much more. He also told some great stories about his friendship and time spent with James Gandolfini before The Sopranos. That's all I got, so here it is. My conversation with Louis Lombardi. So, Louis, thank you for being here. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for having me. So, where'd you grow up? I grew up in the Bronx. And where do you live now? You I live out here in California. I've been in Santa Monica for 25 years, and I just moved to Long Beach. Okay. How'd you get into acting? So I grew up, so I grew up in the Bronx. And yeah. how I became an actor was when I was like 10, 12 years old, I never went to school, and I would always watch movies. Instead of going to school, I would go to the movies. My mother would give us $5. Me and my brother, we'd split two fifty each. He would go on his way. I would go hop on the train in the Bronx and go to the movies in Parkchester. And... I just never went to school, and I would go to the movies every day in the afternoon, which I still do now. You know, 40 years, 45 years, 40 years later, I still go to the movies every afternoon. Yeah. You know, I still see three movies a week now. Did you sign up for that service that recently came out you know, where you can get, like, you can go on to unlimited movies on a you monthly know, basis? You know, I had the movie, movie pass. pass. The movie pass, I had it. It was great, and then it sucked. They turned on it. They started eliminating where you could see one movie. They really rigged everybody. They rigged everybody with Did that. Did you get your money back? I had a friend yeah. that got stuck with it. No, got- I, got my, I got my money back. Okay. I think they knew who I was because on Instagram, they used to say, hey, Louie, you know, yeah. they must have realized he's an actor. And I was like, hey, you know. So what, what happened was, I got rid of it because it started becoming one movie every month. I was like, what happened every movie every day? Because I was using it. I was yeah, seeing three movies, four. I was seeing everything. It's a steal. Then I saw AMC A-List. Yeah. Bro, AMC's got the best theaters first of all. Well, now. The dine-ins, they got the recliners. So, and I have an AMC right now a, mile, a half a mile from my house. So I signed up for the A-List, $19 or $20 a month, and you get to see any three movies per week. It's brilliant. So... I'm like, what are you kidding me? You'll lounge out in the chair if you don't want to see the movie. So how are they making money? What's the game? Like, is, is it to you get know, you to spend? Is it to get you to spend when you're in the theater? I guess so. Okay. Any movie theater is like that, though. Yeah. You know how to you know how the box office works. You know, they want that's why a lot of studios want the big hits the first weekend. Yeah. Because that the the, the revenue share is no, 80, 20, just Disproportional. Yeah. And then it, as the movie stays longer in theaters, it starts to go, you know. So it goes from like 80-20 to like 60-40 to like 50-50. Yeah. So the longer the movie has legs, the more the theater makes money. And then they bang you for $19 for a popcorn and a soda. Yeah. Which that's how much it is in the AMCs. Of course. You know, it's $17 for a soda and a, pop, a bar large popcorn. Think about that. Yeah. You know, so they want the people in. But the AMC A-list is great. I have it for a while. And for the rev- for the monthly 
Movie Pass was great, and they changed the terms. And that's like me telling you, "Hey, dude, give me fifty bucks. You're gonna join my club next week." I'm like, "Well, you could only come one day." You said, "No, I can come to the club every day." Right? They bait and switched you totally, and yeah. they were getting lawsuits. When I posted on Twitter, people were like, "I think that's where I got my money back because I started tweeting stuff, and, and I really never do." I was like, "This is a scam." Every time I went to go see a movie. Everything was blocked out. You couldn't see anything anymore. They screwed everyone. Huh. Then they gave me an option. They actually gave me my money back. And like I said, 20 bucks a month, A-list, AMC. The theaters are brand new. The seats you reclaim. Even if you don't want to see the movie and it's a bad movie, who cares? You yeah. see one IMAX movie, it's 20 bucks, right? Yeah. I, you could see everything. IMAX, 3D. Yeah. I'm a movie nut. And that's how I started acting. When I was a kid, growing up in the Bronx, I would do the same thing. Go to the movies with the, head, the money my mother would give me. Go have a pizza and a movie. I still do it. It starts with passion. Passion. And I can t- I can see it, just the way you're describing it. I love it. I loved what I did. You know, I love what I do, I should say. I ain't dead yet. So but you're, I, are, you, are you living your dream? Yeah. I've lived my dream so far. So if I die tomorrow, I'm fucking satisfied. That's fucking, you know? that's fucking awesome, man. I love hearing that. You and, know, and I know a lot of people that spend a lot of time in film school and acting school. And it's kind of funny how my career started out was I did all these independent films. Like, I did all these NYU films. Yeah. That headshot, I still have them. What a fun, I was 10, 11, 12. Yeah. People are like, you just be, no, here. They're like, holy shit, you've been doing this since you're fucking 12. Yeah. I go, yeah. So as I started doing these independent films through backstage, you submit your pitches. You, sub- you know what I'm talking about backstage? Where are you from? I'm from California, Northern California, Bay Area. Uh, but the, I don't know if they had backstage out here, but when I was a kid, you're probably way younger, but when I was a kid, they had backstage. Like Village a, Voice. You're talking about the thing? Yes. That, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was backstage. It was right. a, 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 mag, a newspaper for just entertain, like actors. Yeah. And all the auditions would come in, you know, and you submit your picture. The old school mail right. them every Thursday. You right. get it. You run to the post office. You drop your 10 pictures in. So I ended up doing like 10, 20 maybe NYU films. Because I started hanging out with the kids. Because when I would go down there, I would smoke weed with them, I'd hang out with them before we'd have beers with them. And that's that became like my schooling, you know? Like watching these NYU, you know, doing these NYU films. And then I did this one independent film called Amongst Friends, okay? Went in, got cast. Mira Savino was the casting person. She was no one. She was just a girl in New York. Her dad was Paul Savino. She was casting the film. And uh, she cast me in this movie. Her dad's Paul Sorvino. Yeah, Mira Sorvino. Yeah. So, you know, like in between all my my independent films, this is like 13, 14, 15, 17, 18 years old. Yeah. Just auditioning and getting all these films. Yeah. And I realized the best way I try to teach young actors is today. The best thing to do is not to not to go to film school for two years, five years, whatever you do. Not to go to acting school. Get in the trenches. Audition for NYU films. Audition for USC films. Audition for independent films. Get out there. Get on these little sets, but they're actually, you get the real experience. Yeah. You're not like in a room. You're on fucking set. They're yelling, cut. There's people. Acting is not just knowing your lines. It's interacting. It's the distraction you're on set. What do you got before they say action? What happens? They give you rewrites. They give you direction. You can't lean in. You can't do this. You need to change the line. The other actor needs the line's action. You need to comprehend 50 things within a minute. And then, boom, focus, right? And I try to tell actors that. You could go to a fucking room. You could be in acting school, Strasbourg, and you could be, on your cl- and you could be in class every day and studying your shit. That will make it good to practice. But when you need a real run, you need to get in the game. Yeah. And being on student films was the biggest thing. So I did all these NYU films, right? And then I did this independent film. The independent film, two years later, goes to Sundance. The director calls me and he's like, hey, Louie, we're doing it. Our film got picked up for the Sundance. 1993. 
Sundance was tiny back then. Tiny. Yeah. The size it is. We had, they had it in like the room with the fold out chairs yeah. and it was nothing. And I was like, so we all packed up and drove. Me, Mira, this, the director's name is Rob Weiss. He drove. We all, he was out here and we all drove out here from the Bronx, drove to Utah. From the Bronx? Yeah. With wow. nothing, packed up and left. Yeah. Me and a couple of dudes, the guy I did a, the movie with, turns out we drive from, he would go from New York to LA, LA to Sundance, and boom, the movie was a huge hit there. Mira got recognized by Robert Redford, put her in Quiz Show, and that started her career by accident because she wasn't supposed to be in the movie. She was casting, she knew the lines, the lady backed out, they couldn't find the girl. She played the role, and it made her career basically almost as an accident. So you never know. You never know. You never know. So the role I went in for was one role, one guy. Mira and the director liked me and my other dude, and he goes, I'm going to split the role, give it to you guys. Again, you never know. Me and the dude, were at, I didn't know him. We were in the room rehearsing together, the one, the one part. Yeah. And when they saw him going and me going, they left. They were like, you guys are great. We're going to put you both in. And it ended up being iconic characters, the Vic and Eddie ones and amongst friends. Yeah. They ended up becoming like, even now, people still scream, you're hooked, you're hooked and shit. And you're like, whoa. You know, that was a little film. In 1991, we shot people, it. People remember when they people when remember it, it resonates they you become part of the culture and the fabric of their life forever right you know they, so, so what happens is i do all these in these nyu films this is again you never know and i'm out here and the rob weiss tells me hey man he got this big deal at universal right after the movie came out at sundance he became like this big director you know like oh everybody wanted to work with him so he so he goes hey drive me to oliver stone's office now growing up in the bronx i didn't want to i never wanted to be a i like scorsese's movies i like coppola's movies but if you notice their big bodies of work for all those years they've only had several that are really iconic films like to me at least you yeah, know yeah i'm an oliver stone guy okay i'm gonna i'm of gonna course. segue so you've been in a bunch of things over your career obviously the sopranos which we're going to talk about but also 24 the usual suspects natural born killers beverly hills cop 3 Natural Born Killers was the Oliver Stone movie. My question for you there, is there any, any Oliver Stone stories, Woody Harrelson stories, kidding? or Quentin Tarantino stories that you can share? Are you kidding? They wrote a book on the making of the movie, and I was in there. I was there for everyone. So how I got the Natural Born Killers, my first day in Hollywood from Sundance, I got an agent. I was like, oh, my God, you're really like the hit. We were like, oh, my God, everyone loves this movie. Everyone loves you. I got an agent. Rob Weiss goes, hey, Oliver Stone wants to meet me. To, for, to, not me, him, to direct his uh, next movie. And I'm like, he goes, can you drive me? I was like, sure, Oliver Stone. I, I was like, it's my idol. Yeah, growing up. Yeah, what's go, your favorite Oliver Stone movie? Oh man, you just go put I you mean, on the spot. No, no. I mean, I can go down the list of what he's written or what he's directed because uh, he's written Scarface. Yeah, he's yeah. written movies that very no one few people know, know that. No one knows that. They yeah. go to Palmer. Yeah, okay. Yeah, he wrote that and he wrote Midnight Express. Then got an Oscar and he still wasn't invited to the set when he made when they made that. Yeah. You know how tough time he had? Read his book, Stone. Okay. It's f crazy. But, so anyway, growing up, all I, my films are more, the ones I'm, I want to direct and I want to make are more Oliver Stone style. Okay. Gritty New York, realistic, punch-in-the-face movies. I mean, uh, most of his body of work were great films. Yeah. In my eyes. I mean, yeah. that's, I, maybe I'm, you it's know. It's your style. My and, style. Yeah. So, first week in Hollywood, who do I get to meet? Oliver Stone, I'm sitting with like this with him, like I'm sitting with you. And I'm like, holy shit, this is surreal. No union card, nothing. I'm like looking at him and he's staring at me and he's looking at me and he's talking to Rob Weiss and he's looking at me and he goes, hey man, I love your look. I'm going to put you in my next movie. I was like, what? He goes, yeah, don't worry about it. I'll call you. Don't I'll, worry about it. That's what he said. No script, no, no. About two months later, I get a phone call. My agent's like, Oliver Stone just called. He wants you to put you in Natural Born Killers. I was like, What? It's movies making in Chicago in the summer. 
He goes, he wants you to come back. He wants to talk with you. I'm like, this is insane. It's insane. First week. Yeah. You never know. True Hollywood every, story, man. Right. But everything was almost an accident. Yeah. The yeah. one role led to two. The two ro- led, roles led to an iconic kind of role in the film for both of us. That role got us noticed. We got noticed. Oliver Stone saw me, who was my idol. He looks at my resume, he picks it up, he looks at it, it's all NYU films. You know, he's a graduate of NYU. Yeah. Scorsese was his professor. That helps. And he was looking at me and he was yeah. laughing. He goes, I'm going to put you in my next movie. I get, the, I get there. He puts me, I, he, I go back in, in two weeks, right? I'm two months. I go back. I'm sitting there. Who's in the room? Woody Harrelson, Tommy Lee Jones, Robert Downey, Juliet Lewis, him, and uh, Tom Sizemore. And these are all heavy hitters at that, at that point in their they career, were big, right? They, they were, were heavy hitters. They were like, they were dead. Yeah. And I'm walking and they were all sitting there. And I go, holy shit. Like, this is like the most surreal moment of my life. Like, I'm like, this is my idol. And look who all these major stars. And he sits, he sits, he sits me down. He goes, we're going to start auditioning people for you to be partners with. I want you to pick someone with me. I'm like, are you kidding? Actors are coming in. It's my first week in Hollywood. Like, you know, I meet this dude and two months later, I'm sitting with these big stars casting people. Now, you got to realize I was a kid who went to the movies every day. And all these character actors were coming in to pair up with me in a movie. And I was like, I like him. He's like, all right, relax. I like that guy. I love that guy. Everybody walked in. You know, I'm excited. I'm like, this is insane. And they end up picking a guy named Marshall Bell, who ended up becoming my friend up until today. You know, he's a great actor. He was in a million things, Marshall Bell. So long story short, I end up hanging out in Chicago with Tommy Lee Jones, Woody Harrelson, uh, Robert Downey I became friends with. And we would have these massive parties in Chicago. Like, he, he had this big suite, the Four Seasons. And every night, Peter Gabriel would come up and play piano. Uh, Claudia Schiffer, this is in 93 now, would come in with all our friends. And Claudia, I'm sitting in this... Cla- Claudia Schiffer's still all right. Yeah, but, but I'm saying, <laughs> picture 93 when yeah, they were yeah. all hot and running. Like, and I don't mean looking hot, but hot like career-wise. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. Every one of them. So every night we went out, and they took me. Downey took me with them. So that was my initiation at the Hollywood. Going out every night, hanging out with Tommy Lee, Woody House, everybody just doing the craziest shit in restaurants and going to clubs all night, going straight to the set. We just filmed in Joliet Prison. It was a real prison. They wrote a book on the making of the movie, Jane Hampshire and Don Murphy. They, she wrote a book, and it was t- talking about the movie. Natural Born Killers. Yeah. I mean, the making of the movie was legendary. We were out every night. It was crazy. This movie um, was before Quentin was big, right? Well, Quentin sold Don Murphy's a script. Don Murphy, that's how he made his, that's, he, he ended up punching him in the face, Quentin. Was he involved in the making of the movie? Like, no. You didn't see him? No, okay. what happened was Oliver bought the script from Don Murphy, right? You know what Don Murphy yeah, is? Yeah, yeah. So Don Murphy bought the script from Quentin. Quentin brought it to Oliver. Oliver loved it. Oliver's a writer, of course. She's a maniac. He rewrote the thing. Quentin freaked out. He saw Don in a bar one night in Hollywood and said, hey, man, you fuck, I'm going to hit you one night. He saw him out in a bar and he punched him and Don sued him for like a million dollars, right? Isn't that, that's like a famous story. Yeah. Clocked him did in he, a bar. Yeah, he, he sued him. Did he have to pay out or yeah, did he settle it? Yeah, of course. I think he pay, probably paid him, them, yeah. whatever he paid him. But Oliver said, like, fuck you. Who are you, basically, to him? To Quentin Tarantino. Yeah. Who are you then? Yeah. But, but, you know, again, it's almost like the Oliver thing where he was a great writer became a great director and the same kind of similar with Quentin. Quentin was a huge writer. He yeah. wrote all those movies. Yeah. You know, he wrote True Romance. Yeah. It's I such mean, a small, what, just hearing you talk about this, everybody always talks about, and I'm a total outsider, so, but you always hear about how, 
it's a small world. It's a small community. Yes. Everybody knows everybody. And you're kind of describing that. Like, this is what it is. Like, this person leads to this. And yeah. everybody's a nobody until they're a somebody. Right. You know, Oliver Stone and, and Quentin Tarantino are on a same project together. And it's this is like the genesis of that. And it's almost crazy because it was almost of what happened to Oliver on Midnight Express. He won his Oscar. He, was a, he became a huge writer. But they blackballed him from the set of Scarface. Why? Because when you read the book, it tells like he was, you know, he, he just didn't give him the respect. Oh. Same happened with Quentin until he started directing. I mean, you really didn't know if you. I mean, if you're only if you're a Quentin fan, do you know who wrote True Romance? Yeah. But you know uh, what's his name directed it? Uh, Tony Scott. Tony Scott. Yep. You get it? Yeah. Even yeah. Scarface, the Writer, Palma. Writers go to the wayside a lot. A lot. In the past, one of the one of the people, and we'll talk about him, David Chase, one of the people who gave writers the respect that they deserve is, is are, are the David Chases of the world right. because they, they got this auteur power. Right. You know, like the, the universe building power. Especially but, in television. Especially in television. Film, still not so. Right. It's all about the director. Right, because you... I'm not, I'll why, give, why is it all about the director in film? What is it about the director... I don't know because I think he flicks the switch on the light for the vision while the writer is in there creating the world. So the world is still dark until the director gets out there with the camera, the DP, and lights up the vision, correct? Does that make sense? Yeah. You know, I don't know. Maybe it's just the way I think of things, but I see that. But without that world, there's nothing to light up. Yeah. So how does that writer keep getting over overlooked? And I, I can name five movies, and you'd be like, I, I don't know who wrote that. And it made you do it. Like, I do, that with, I do that with Scarface all the time. People go, no, what? They're like, Oliver Stone? I'm like, yeah. You know, even with True Romance. It's a Quentin Tarantino film. Until you light it up, like you describe, it's just an idea. Right. And, and ideas, ideas are dime a dozen until it's executed. Yes. And you can have a good script and still mess it up. You know, you can have a great script, and a director can come in and blow it, you know, with his vision. So... It's it's kind of a it's kind of a catch twenty two. That's why on TV writers are always on set, yeah. You know, and they 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 have more say than the director on on a TV show. You really get talked to by the direct by the writers. The director might give you the hey, you can't lean in, you can't back up, you're out of frame. But the context of the scenes are all your executive producer of the TV show is that dude. Yeah. He comes right over and tells you. The director's secondary on most TV shows, unless he's on the show as a executive. But most of the directors rotate, like a Fox. They'll do each show. You'll see the same directors on each of their shows. They just go. They're like guns for hire. They work two weeks, and they move on. The editor's at it. The system is rolling for a TV show. Yeah. A film, it's different. You could be a minute long. You could improvise. You could do things where you can edit and make it better. TV's timing and structure way different than movies. Yeah, yeah. You know, a movie could be an hour and 40 minutes, an hour and 37 minutes. That three minutes can make a scene great. Sure. You get it? Like, True romance. Look at Gary Oldman. He's in that movie t- five minutes. He steals that whole movie. Remember, he plays the pimp in True Romance. Yeah. So you know, I, I don't know. I just think the writers go unnoticed in film, but in TV they're god. So I guess it balances out. Yeah. Usual Suspects is another movie you were in. Any stories from that? Yeah. How I got the Usual Suspects. Yeah. And was- also, I'm also curious about how like it's a big fucking cult deal still. Like, did you guys, how did you get on, how did you become involved in that project and thoughts and impressions on the success that it still is experiencing in 2019? Well, it's funny because in 93, when I went to Sundance, the class that we were there with, the filmmakers that were there, were Robert Rodriguez, Brian Singer. His film beat our film out at the competition. That's how I know him. We were at Sundance together. We all started out together. Jennifer Lynch, Man, we had such a class of filmmakers the year I was there in 93. You know what I'm saying? It was pretty fu- It was pretty cool. 
you know, the, the, film, the group. So I met Brian there at his film because our film was a competition with his. You know what I'm saying? As we were all made friends, before anybody was famous. No one was famous. They were just kids banging out their mom's credit cards to make a film. So I met Brian Singer at Sundance in 93. Our film was in competition. They beat our film out. We came back, and he liked us from the movie Amongst Friends, like Oliver did, like Oliver Stone. Yeah. And he goes, I'm going to put you in my movie. And it was Usual Suspects. No one knows. Let me tell you something. Anybody who tells you, I was in movies with, with, with Robin Williams and Billy Crystal and Julia Julia Dreyfus. Think it was going to be the Ivan Reitman directing it. You think it's going to be, oh, this is bombed. You do these little movies like I did Suicide Kings was a for nothing for 500 bucks changed my whole career around. You know, you did. I did that movie Amongst Friends for nothing. It was an independent film. Turned them out. Started my career. Yeah. But I did. I've done so many big films like Natural Born Killers bombed in a way. Even yeah. though it's a cult movie, it bombed. Yeah. You know, no one got it. Now yeah. it's a cult like film. But right. When you do a movie, what I do when I do a film, I ask three questions. What's it about? Who's in it? And who's directing it? Because the camaraderie of the team is what you want to do. You want to work with great actors. You want to be in a cool world. You know what I'm saying? You know, you want to, everybody wants to be in a cool world. That's the script. Everybody wants to be with cool actors because that's who you play with. You get it? I get on a set. I don't, I don't really like, you know, I just get there and I'm 100 miles an hour. You think I'm 100 miles an hour now? You got to see what I'm working. You know, it's kind of like just moving. Like a shark, you never stop, and you're always ready to bite something. You're always ready to attack. That's why I think I've had such a career. Because when I show up, whether it's one line or, or or one year on a project, I'm the same. Yeah, I show up with the same enthusiasm, you know. And I and I and I, if they're great actors, you working with, and you, I call it playing around because you get out there, you're playing. Because we're acting is really not working. You're playing, you know. Working is going on the side of the highway on a hundred degrees and digging ditches. That's a real job. You uh, you segued beautifully to like talking about working with the team and, and 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 the refrain that I'm hearing from a lot of people that I'm talking to about the Sopranos is that it was a it was a team and there was a there was a passion for the project and the the stuff that you did primarily with Vincent Pastore who I interviewed by the way yeah um, you you were mostly in a car you were confined to the, yeah, you were confined to a car <laughs> but you you popped off the screen man Do you know how long I know Vinny. Uh, I, I'm going to get there. I'm okay, going to get there. All right. So, uh, yeah, we're going to talk. He has a nickname for you, too, which he told me I know, to I tell know. you about. And I'm going to let you say it. Uh, I said, I'm not going to say that to him. But He was a, he was an old Bronx fella, Vinny. Yeah. yeah. He yeah. knows me back from the days. <laughs> let's let's build this up now, okay? So you've you've got this acting career going. You, you came to it naturally. It was what you've been doing. It's your passion, like you said. How does The Sopranos happen for you? What's the backstory to getting on that show? Well, I know Jimmy from 94, before Sopranos. We used to hang out. I had an office in this building. See the top floor of a looking outside? Yeah. My friend owned the Roxbury. Does, does, does Ely still have his offices upstairs? This building you had an office in? The top floor is the front window. No shit. Yeah, for years. Wow. I shot, my, I wrote, directed, and starred and produced in this movie in 1997 called The Boss. I wrote, it was my film. Peter Green was in it, Mike Starr, Andrew Key. Everyone was in it, all these actors, right? Yeah. So it was all shot at the Roxbury. Remember the Roxbury Club? My buddy owned it. I think Ely Samar still has his offices upstairs. I the believe corner. he does. Yeah. yeah. He's the, he owned them. He's the, my buddy's dad owned the place that was his uncle. Yeah. So when we shot the movie there, we took the whole, we, had, we used to go up on the roof, put a couch there, and we had the billboards. We would sit over sunset and watch the clubs let out, bring up everybody. Party. This was our, this building was my party spot for years. I love it. That top floor, all those windows, we would just wave them up, and then we would yeah. go on the roof, and we, we had parties in this building you couldn't imagine. Wow. That's right when I was like, holy shit, this is going to be fun going in there. It's a small world, it's right? A small that I, world. That, this is happens to my This studio happens to be where you used to have an office. That's right. crazy. Crazy, and we had the whole top floor. Yeah. We had the whole front of the building. So wow. it was like a movie set. Wow. We would sit there on the weekends at night and just 
have parties in our office from the club because people go to the club party all night then just bring everyone back here. Yeah. This is our like Was thing. the Chateau Marmont still? Yeah, everything. Was it, was yeah, it, was it, was it popping back then? The, uh, yeah. Popping. It yeah. was popping beyond popping. Yeah. This whole strip was. Yeah. We never went home. Yeah. This strip was our hangout for yeah. 10 years. And they own most of the restaurants around here too. Like the little places, the big places. They own like 20 restaurants. Yeah, they're doing all right. They're, they're doing great. Right. They're great people though. They took care of me. They paid for the movie. They were great to me. They were like family. Has Jim been in this building? No, so we when I did the movie, the Kodak Film Company has a spot on Santa Monica Boulevard, not the Kodak Theater. You told you the Kodak Company that has the film and the they yeah. they they're on Santa Monica Boulevard. Yeah. So they kind of helping me out. They like me. They like my projects. They like me. So they would give me free film and give me shit. So they end up having a screening room there. And they let me screen the film when it's shot. And it turned out to be a massive reception. Everyone came, and Jimmy came. And I knew Jimmy because we used to hang out at the bars around here together. This is before Sopranos, and we were all buddies. So long story short, zip through is I did a movie called Suicide Kings with Christopher Walken. George Ann Walken was the casting director of Sopranos. Her husband was Christopher, right? Obviously. So... I did this movie for one day. I ended up getting nine scenes in it. We improvised, me and Dennis Leary, improvised this whole movie. Boom, I'm in nine scenes. I was supposed to have none. I'm in nine scenes. We end up taking the movie over me. And they put all my stuff that we improvised throughout the movie. So you thought I worked a month on the movie. Yeah, I worked yeah. one day, one yeah, night. Yeah, yeah. So long story short, George Ann loved it in the movie. She's like, I love you in this movie, blah, blah, blah. She's like, well, we're doing this show called Sopranos. They were casting the first season up at Brillstein Gray. It was when Bernie Brillstein was still around. I used to see him up there. when I. So I went up there and... I end up getting another show in Hawaii with Malcolm McDowell. Barry Sonnenfeld did a show called Fantasy Island, the remake. And they cast me. So the first season, I was like, I left for Sopranos. I went to Hawaii, and I lived for a year to do the show. And I'm like, oh, this is great. I'm living in Hawaii. Show starts to tank. It's on ABC. It's bombing. I'm like, oh, man. And Sopranos is going like this. Sopranos is the number one show now. Yeah. Yeah, It's like, oh, it's like a, and I'm like, I'm on this fucking sinking ship. And, you know, man, but I'm getting paid. I'm living in Hawaii. I'm 30 years old, you know. I got beautiful. Everything is great. And show gets canceled. So I go, oh, man, you think it's the worst day of your life. But I got paid. And I'm like, all right, I'm going to go to New York. It's Christmas time. See my mom. All right, let me just go back, try to, you know, got canceled. The show, I got, you know, it was just like, it was a disaster. Did George Ann Walken cast you for that show too? No. Okay, okay. No. Uh, a guy named Barry Josephson. Okay. He used to run Sony Studios. He did it. He was Barry Sonnefeld's partner. Okay. So they both cast me in the show. So I go to Hawaii. I live. The show gets canceled. Christmas time comes. I go back to New York to see my mom. George Ann Walken goes, he's in New York? Like, yeah. They're like, okay, can he come in now? I'm there two days, bro. She's like, can he come up now? Now, my buddy was the writer called Frankie Renzulli. He was the writer. And I know him for 20, I stood with him for 30 years. We used to hang out at Priscilla's in Toluca Lake. Great writer. Great. Great. But I'm friends with him before. We, none of us did anything. It was me, Mike Starr, Frankie, Bobby Moresco. These are guys who were nobody. We were just sitting around having coffee, 1993, 94 in Toluca Lake. You're nobody till you're somebody. Right. Yeah. None of us. We were all just struggling actors and we were all just hang out. And they were like family to me. Yeah. And Renzulli used to go, Louie. Don't take a gangster role. There's a cop role coming up. Take that. It might be less episodes. It might be less, but your career will be longer. And he was 100% right because after that, I got 24. So I end up going in. I go to read two days. He was, he was fighting for me to be on Frankie. George Ann loved me, and I knew Jimmy. So when I show up in New York, I'm like, this is, I go upstairs. I have my lines, right? I'm like, I'm going to read because it was reading with pussy. Yeah. 
it was reading with pussy. The scenes were with pussy. You were doing your you were doing your audition with him. Yes. Okay. So I show up in the room. Who's there? Pussy's not there. Gandolfini's there. It's like Louie gives me a big hug. Chase is there. And uh, so so Jimmy was feeding you your feeding you pussy's lines. He's like Louie. I'm reading with you. He looks over at everybody like okay. He's a good guy. He's a true friend. Good guy. Even when we were just nobodies, like not nobodies, but regular, just before we were kind of famous, we all just hung out. He was a solid dude, one of the best guys I know. Seriously, like just a, he, most of the people he put on the show, he helped get on. Even though they were all perfect, he had a lot of say on a lot of those people. Believe it or not. So he, so I go in and I'm like Jimmy. Really? He goes, I'm reading with you. Now remember, he's the biggest star right now because Sopranos was the first season with God. You know, takes the thing. It's three three scenes. He reads one. He goes, All right, that's it. I go, oh, Man, that I suck. I go, Holy shit! I was like, Thanks, Jimmy. David Chase, like, Ah, right, yeah. See, like, just waves me by. David was there. Yeah, David, Robin, and and the other Robin, Robin, Robin Green, Robin Green, and Mitch. Mitchell Burgess. They were there. They happened to be best friends with the writers on Fantasy Island when I was in Hawaii. And they told them that Louis a great guy. So when I got there, they were like, hey, you worked with our friends in Hawaii. I go, who? And they mentioned the dudes, the writers in Hawaii. It was another couple. Small I, world. I was like, wow. They were like, they loved you. I was like, really? This is the first initial when I walked into the room. And then Jimmy read with me. Read one scene. He crumples. He goes, all right, you're done. I go, wow, this sucked. Uh, now I'm really depressed. I'm like, my show just got canceled. You know, I got fuck. I'm in New York. I just got booted out of the room. Bro, I go downstairs. I get my car. The agent calls me. You got the role within five minutes. I was like, what? She goes, yeah, it's a, it's a role. It's going to be one or two episodes. They don't know how long it's going to be, but they love you. Blah, blah, blah. Because I went to read it. I go, Jim, there's another scene. He goes, no, you ain't got to read it. He goes, he ain't got to read it to Chase and the other people. Just like totally was like, boom. And, bef- and I, like I said, within five, within 10 minutes in the elevator ride, I was cast in The Sopranos. You know, and, and at that point, I just came from a big failure, a $50 million failure. The guys, Paul and Chris Whites, you know who they are? They did ants about a boy. They were the writers of the Fantasy Island. So I made friends with those guys. But I get to New York. Before you know it, George Ann loved me from Suicide Kings. Gandolfini knew me for 10 years. I'm on the show. I'm on the biggest show in history. Like, basically, turned out... All, be- all because I got, fu- uh, I got fired and the show got canceled, I went off and I thought it was the worst thing in my life and it turned out to be the best. Well, what do they say? The darkest part of night is right before the dawn. Yeah, right? dude. Is that so, what they say? Yeah, Whoever says that, I agree with that. It's, 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 you know, when you think things are worse, like just hang in there for a little bit longer, there, yeah. will, be, there will be some light. And it was like miserable, you know, you got canceled. I don't know if you've ever been on a show where you got canceled. It's like getting poisoned, you know? You're like, you're sick every day, you're miserable, everything stops. And a week later, I'm on The Sopranos. Yeah, and, and George Ann was a fan. Frankie Renzulli I knew for 20 years. And it just turned out everything was in sync, and it turned out to be one of the best roles of my life. Were there any other skips that you were competing against? No. Any any other actors? That, okay, so it was like... Well, I didn't see anybody when yeah, I was there. When you, went in there when, when you went in there, it was the names that you described in that room. It was just a Mitch... And David and David, Robin, Robin and, and, and James Gandolfini. That's it. Amazing. And literally was there two days. Why didn't Vincent read? Any, any idea? I have no idea. no idea. Okay. No clue. But Jimmy read with me. Were you intimidated by David Chase? No, I don't get intimidated by anyone. Okay. I come from the fucking Bronx. You're going to intimidate me? I fucking grew up with guys that are doing 90 years in prison. I love no it. No one intimidates me in general, you know? Yeah. And I, not, not in an ego it's way. It's actually an asset. No, it's an asset. You it's know, an asset. even when I go, yeah. when I used to go audition, I used to say my confidence is my acting school because I didn't yeah. went to acting school. I didn't do anything. In acting yeah. school, film school, I just learned how to do everything on my own. Yeah. On sets. Yeah. NYU films and shit. So even like, you know, when I go into rooms even now to read, it's like, you know, I'm not leaving here in jail. I'm not leaving here killed. I'm not going to get beat up. What do I need to be afraid about? Yeah. Well, I don't give a fuck. I have to tell all these actors, who gives a fuck? You don't get this job, you get the next one. And I end up doing 60 movies. 
Yeah, ten no, I series. Think have, I think you have seventy-two IMDb credits. If I'm yeah. remembering, this. plus all the series, I yeah. did forty episodes of Twenty-four. Yeah, yeah, thirteen of Sopranos. You know, the, ten of Fantasy Island. Twenty-four was your longest run, right? On a, yeah, and you're gonna laugh how I got that. So yeah. I'll, I'll let you segue into that. Well, so. I was gonna say like the 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 thing I read about that that and I remember that watching that show is that you you got whacked or like something something happens to I your died character. On, yeah. on, on the, but it was, but it was because you're such a lovable character. Yeah, they needed to do something. Destroyed to the whole show, though. They end up getting a lot of backlash from yeah. it. Yeah, yes. Tell the story about Twenty Four. So, so I did Sopranos, and and I knew Pussy for thirty five years. I knew Vinny Pastore when since I was fifteen. He owned the bar in the Bronx in New Rochelle, and I used to go there with my family, and we used to kind of just take over his place and shit when I was a kid. And he and he would just sit there and let us hang out until we felt like going home. And turns out, me and him are friends since I'm 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 51. We've been friends for over 20 years. No, more like 35. Wow, 30 36 years we've been friends. But who knew we were going to be on a show together? Yeah, wasn't like it was planned. He didn't have any say. I just showed up. They put. They loved us together. Universe. And you know how? You know why the scenes I think worked out so good because he lived in my neighborhood in the Bronx, and we would go. I would go to his house every day and just run the lines with him. So most of the stuff we shot was one and two takes because we were so prepared. That's what I was going to ask you. You and him had a natural chemistry. Yeah. And I think you've explained it now. But talk about that. Like we're, you were friends prior to working together, and there was just a natural comfort. Yeah, we were friends. Yeah. Forever. Yeah. So we okay. had that relationship as friends. You feel, you feel it when you guys are in the car. It's something weird. People are like, man, it's just, it's just an acting. It's just a scene. I'm like, no, man. Two guys in a car is like a trope in television across the board. But when you guys were going back and forth, and the way you were looking over at him when you're driving, and it just like they 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 know something that we don't know you know as 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 and I I don't know if that was the directing I don't know if that was the writing it might have been a combination of all of that it was definitely a, every every project's a combination yeah. of everything but it was me and Vinny rehearsing in his house three four days a week running the scene but what else were we doing he said something about he, you guys would ride from City Island into Silver Cup Studios and do the that, lines the whole the time lines. that's awesome and in his house we would just go to his house to yeah. his house all day and he, we would have coffee and do the lines and we would go together to set yeah and we would do the lines in the car so it was almost like we were doing the thing the whole thing and we would play with it and we want to do this and, and that's why we got in the car they would go I could do a take we would bang it out and it would be so cool because we rehearsed it and we did it and it was yeah. it was naturally a friendship yeah like the characters were. Yeah. So it turned out to be. They were, they were friends, right? They were friends. Skip and. They were friends because he felt, the cop felt bad for Vinny. Yeah. You could see it in some of the, you know, Skip felt bad for pussy. Yeah. You could see it in a lot of the scenes where he's like, oh, man, like he shakes his head and he's like, you know, you're going to be all right. You know, you're yeah. going to go off. You're going to, you could see the cops starting to have like that kind of Feelings. emotional friendship with this Rever- dude. A reverse Stockholm syndrome. Yes. Which is the line that, that, yeah. uh, that, that, that Skip says. <laughs> yeah. But Skip. Skip felt uh, a pussy's pain. Yeah, and and that's why that's why it was such a great human sidebar story. Right. You know, like people like Nate and people that are here and that listen to the podcast. It's not about the mafia. The show's not about the mafia. It's about, it's about these human relationships. And, right. Exactly. And Skip and Skip and Pussy had this amazing relationship. And and you were in. Uh, you appeared in nine episodes across seasons two and three. And in season three, Mr. Ruggiero's neighborhood. Uh, it's your final part in the show, but it all the scenes are with you in the car by yourself. Right. Whereas prior right. to, it's all the scenes are with you and Pussy, and it was almost like a, a like a visual sort of like Skip misses his friend. 
Right. And it was a very, ni- a very nice, respectful goodbye to, to your character and also a reminder of like that there's this other story going on in the show that most listeners aren't ever going to care about. But I do. I'm talking about it 20 years right, later. Right, right. So. And you know what was cool about it was that not only the relationship like transferred from the fr- real life to the screen, but when you watch those the, the characters' relationships, like vi- like like not Vinny and Louie, but but Pussy and, and uh, Skip. Skip. It started becoming more... They, David Chase said they wanted someone who looked like a younger pussy and what could be a street guy if he didn't become a cop. That was why they cast me, because they saw it was a street guy, but still relatable to the... Totally. To the, to the guy. And I, we went with the lisp and the big guy. So me and Vinny had that resemblance of, like, almost father and son kind yeah. of mentality. Yeah. A lot of fans think that Skip is a guy that got flipped by the feds and he was so good at what he did, they've made him an undercover agent, you know, because you feel like these are just two guys from the same neighborhood. Right. That's what Chase said. Yeah. He goes, I want the two guys from the same neighborhood. I Not love a it. cop and a thing. That was Chase, you know, again, so there you go asking like, was it, everything is a team on a show and a movie. You know, you they do cast your, it right though. The vision, what, the vision that they had, they yeah. executed it to perfection. And it transferred because people said that. People it totally say does. that. They go, "Are oh, you and Vinny? You could have been a gang, yeah." And, and but Frankie Renzulli was a genius because he's the one who told me, "Yes, don't take the fucking Marlboro. You might be in a club, but you might do forty episodes, but it ain't gonna blow you out." He goes, "We're writing this role." It's gonna make. It's gonna be great for you. It was he a goes, really good strategic move for your career. He did it. He was one of the main ones who kind of said that to me. Frankie Renzulli said this to me before I even shot one scene. But when they were planning on the cop role, when I knew about it, and that's when I, it was like immediate. Yeah. And he told me he goes, "Louis, listen to me." And he he was again. I kind of owe him a lot of what he said was true because when uh, I could segue into the twenty four thing as how. Yeah. Because when I did Sopranos. Joe Cernow was the creator of 24. And two years after I did Sopranos, he calls me in. He's like, yo, man, I just watched all the Sopranos on DVDs. You were great as a cop. He goes, I loved you on this show. I want to put you on my show. He goes, again, it went from one episode. Sopranos was only supposed to be one or two episodes. Yeah, ended up being nine. Being the whole whole arc of the season. That was like one of the main storylines. So when I met Joe Cernow on 24, he was like, man, I loved you on on Sopranos, which turned out because of we did our work and it was all, again, in sync, you know. Sure. Like we were talking about earlier, it just, stuff happens, right? Yeah. So I go, I meet Joe. Joe's like, I'm going to hire you. Didn't even audition, really. I met him for five minutes, read one scene. He's like, I watch on the show. And it was so different than Skip. I don't know if you've ever watched 24, but it's a sad sack, crying, depressed, getting yelled at by everyone. You know, so opposite of my real personality than, than Skip was. Yeah. Skip was more like really me. Shut the fuck up, pussy. You, you know, an aggressive kind of cop. Yeah, yeah. You know, and 24 was as opposite as can be. Getting yelled at by everyone, crying, walking my head down. It was a really sad, emotional role. Yeah. And they end up, Went from one episode to 38, I did. Yeah. To the whole entire second season, 24 episodes. What do you think was the, what do you think was the tipping point for them deciding to keep your storyline going? How does that work? The fans. The fans. The fans like you, they keep you on. And that's what happened with 20 Sopranos is that, is that they like me and Pussy. So they kept adding that arc on most shows. If they like, you know, because when they have a show, they could see who likes who. It's they so. get the feedback when the yeah. show airs. Yeah. As opposed to now, it's a binge culture. You just watch it all yes. in one go. But they had like the weeks to hear the feedback. Yeah. Interesting. Exactly. Interesting. And so 24 turned out to be a product from Sopranos because so Joel Cernow 
liked me on that show, sure. took the shot on me on 24, which I love because, you know, it was ended up being, but again, where does it go back to? Frankie Renzulli, because I ended up becoming a cop on 24. That moment is so cool. I you love get it. I, I love those stories so much. So like little, someone gives you a little casual piece of two cents at a diner, and you act on that two cents, and it breaks the whole fucking thing open. And it broke my career open. Yeah. The Sopranos broke my career open to where I didn't become, I mean, if you look at my body of work. Yeah. How much do I really play a gangster? No. It's a, it's a very, yeah. Regular guy next door. I played Rob Schneider. Adam Sandler cast me as Rob Schneider's best friend as a cop in The Animal. Right. It's a funny cop. Yeah. I played a sad cop on 24. I played an aggressive cop on Sopranos. Yeah. So my career as a big Italian-American, that's one thing I'm very proud of, is when people go, hey, B, you playing all those mob movies, duh, duh, duh. I go, name one. Sopranos, I was the cop. Yeah. Do you ever watch 24? No, because you're too fucking dumb. You're not educated enough to watch a, a show like 24. Because 24 is an educated show. You can Super. tell the difference in fan bases totally. from most projects, yeah. you know? Yeah, yeah, And 24 is like, you, you miss a commercial, you miss, you miss two minutes, you're like, what happened? Yeah. You know, you can go back to most shows and miss an episode and go, oh, that guy's still, okay, you get it. Right, right. But 24 is a very educated show, very smart show. Even Dialed though in. Even though it's the same fucking premise and you go, oh, but, but when you hear the dialogue and you start listening to terms and you start watching what's going on, it's very hard to watch if you're not some sort of an educated kind of person. You know, does that make sense? Totally, totally. The, the Sopranos fans definitely have a, there's a couple of different fan bases. And we, we approach the podcast from a very intellectual point of view. And it drives a lot of people fucking crazy. Because I keep saying it over and over again that it's, it's less about the mob and more about human, the, the humanity. That's and so relationships. smart though, dude. And, but that's, that's David Chase. Right. That's the writing team. It's a show about slice of life and in America. Hear, and you want to hear something funny? Yeah. Ten years later, I'm on the promenade. Yeah. After 24 was on, you know, like, when I was on 24, it was like a few years after I was on 24, way after I was on Sopranos, I'm at the Barnes & Noble, right, because I spend most of my time in the bookstore and the movie theater. That's most of my days, even now, till today. Yeah. Always was when I was a kid, still is today, right? So I'm at the bookstore and I'm flipping, I hear a guy go, Louis Lombardi, screaming in the bookstore. And I turn around, I think it's just, he goes, I didn't recognize him, he goes, it's David, David Chase. And he's with this young girl, right? He's like, he's like, oh my God, oh my God. He's like, Louie. Now he literally was like, and I was like, okay. He's like, hey, you know, I like that. I'm not, but it was like, yeah, man. Hey, David, how are you? He's like, my daughter is a huge 24 fan. <laughs> David got, Chase told you this. Yeah, I was at the bookstore. He's like, can she get a picture with you? Oh my God, Louie, she spotted you. And I said, that's Louie. And he was so freaking sweet. He came over, was hugging me and made this big scene in Barnes and Noble. His daughter was like, can I get a picture? I was like, are you crazy? What? I was like smiling. and But it was just weird that she was a 24 fan. Of course, yeah, yeah. And he was like, I basically, like basically, I started that dude. Like, yeah. With kind of, and it was just such a great moment. Like it, to me, it was like, Wow. And I was like, thanks, David. And he's like, thank you. My daughter loved you. Well, I hope I see you again. Like, he was just so friendly. I think it's the same daughter that was in the show, the, the Michelle. His real daughter. His real daughter, yeah. His, uh, oh, really? I didn't his even real know. daughter is, a fr is friends with Meadow Soprano. Hunter Scangarello oh, is her name. I didn't even know that. She's in like three or four episodes. That's such a cool story. Such a cool story, right? I was going to ask you yeah. about something to t tell me something about David Chase. And that was like brilliant. And I also have, I, you must have, I don't know if you've listened to these, but I always ask people about what bookstores they go to. And because and, I'm, anyway, well, we'll get there in a second. That's so cool. Yeah. It was so cool. When I heard A. Hey, Louie, I thought it was another fan. I was like, yeah, yeah. I went to Wave. Like, and he came out. I didn't even recognize him because he had like a goatee and he looked different. This is years after. Was this in, in California? Yeah, in, in Santa Monica on the um, promenade, the Barnes & Noble. Amazing. On the corner. Amazing. And uh, 
But anyway, it was just funny. He was screaming. I thought it was just a bird, and it turned out to be him. I didn't even recognize him. He must have been like, is this guy high? Yeah. I was like, whoa. Does this guy know was, who I am? Yeah, he was yeah. like, Louie, David, Chase. I was like, oh, my gosh, sorry, David. He was like, no, don't worry. <laughs> he was so excited, and his daughter was like, with the, you know. That's so awesome. It was beautiful. What year was this? Shit. Like in the Well, I was on I was on 24 2006 and 8, so okay. probably like 2000 oh, uh 10. 2010. Yeah, okay. probably like that time so like about 10 years ago. Yeah, about 10 years ago. Um did the feds fail pussy? You know what? <sighs> Should they have protected him? No. Okay. I mean, he's a drug dealing fucking, you know, that's why when you watch the show, pussy's a drug dealer who beats his wife, kills people for a living. And people idolize him. People would see me and go, you fucking rat. I'd be like, no, 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 no. I'm the FBI agent busting yeah. the bad guy. Yeah. You get it? Yeah. They'd be like, no, you're the fucking rat. I'd be like, wow, our society's so crazy that yeah. the pussy, this guy who's beating people, his wife, doing the craziest shit. They're idolizing him and they're hating on me. I'm going to ask you from, a, from that intellectual angle that I was talking about, though. Pussy was a necessary piece to close the deal on Tony Soprano. Right. And he was there. He was the, he was the gate to break the dam open and get, get Tony spine bars and shut down that crew. So from my standpoint, it's like, should he have been more protected when he goes on that boat to, for his final scene where they, where they whack him? Shouldn't there have been like a tail on, on him, like knowing where he was going? Like, and well, he, well, a lot of, no, I mean, in the real world, it's really not like that. I mean, okay. they, you know, okay. they, throw a wire, they don't follow you 24 seven. They hope you're wired. They don't have the resources. Up. They don't have the resources for that. Not just yeah. that every day. You yeah. can't tell, unless they're ready to make a pinch or they're ready to be a fucking something down or they want to take pictures and, and make a, you know, Rico is about who's around, how's that, you know, the yeah. Rico act. Yeah, yeah, That's yeah. all about tying people together. Yeah, That's yeah. what destroyed the whole John Gotti crew when he made everybody come to the office and they knew who everybody was and they tied that whole Rico to everybody around. And it happened with, I don't know if you know anything about like gangster stuff, but if you go back to the early 80s, there was an FBI, there was a, a gangster who turned... Rat FBI was, informant. Yeah, was uh, a guy named Fish Cafaro. He was Fat Tony's main guy. Yeah. But he did the same thing Pussy did. He didn't give them as much as the FBI thought because he was so big, they thought everything he gave them was golden. And that's what Pussy was doing on the show. He never gave up Tony. He never gave really any information. Remember, credit card. Disinformation. Disinformation. And that's what Fish did. Cafaro. He was a, a gangster in New York. Tony Fat Tony's main dude with the Genovese. He only gave up certain things. And even the FBI, when you read articles, say it. He was a smart guy because he only gave up certain people. He only gave up certain things. They said he could have been way better and bigger, but he played them. He playing them kind of like Pussy did. Yeah. You get it? And he saved his son's life because his son's still a street guy. The guy Fisher's son. Yeah. You know, they were like, huge, they're huge, you know, but it's kind of funny about that. Like, that's the same kind of, I know both worlds, so I, I kind of, when I read a lot of that stuff, I go, wow, it's the same thing, the disinformation. And that's what fucking pussy did is what Fitch did. Yeah. You know, it's kind of weird. It's it the is same, weird. Yeah. Well, no, they use the true life is what informed the, the fiction that you right. guys were a part of. Well, see, I know my, my grandfather did 30 years in prison. All my friends just did 25 years in prison. They're all getting out now. So I come from that world embedded. Like, yeah. And I've been, I've been visiting every prison since I'm five. Lewisburg Penitentiary, Otisville, Danbury, Allenwood, Sing Sing, all, every prison I've been to my whole life since I'm five. I show you pictures of me as five years old in Lewisburg with the biggest dude now on my phone. You'll be like, no way. And then you cut to 25 years later, I'm still visiting them. It's me now an adult. But I was a baby then. You yeah. see him. Like, Fam- the- These are family members of yours. Yeah. Wow. My grandfather did 30 straight years. Wow. So, I don't know. I understood that world as much as, you know, but my passion was always acting. 
Yeah. I always wanted to be an actor. Homie, I was crazy. <laughs> hey, who's crazy now? They're getting out of prison and I'm fucking sitting here with you yeah. talking about my fun career. <laughs> of course. Of course. You know? It's amazing. What did your grandfather do? He ran one of the biggest drug rings in New York history and ended up becoming the French Connection. But it, like 70 guys on Pleasant Avenue in Harlem got arrested in 1971 and he was one of the main guys, you know? I mean, he's legend. He's in like 20 books, you know? Yeah. But What's his name? Lewis. Lewis. Yeah, Lewis. Are you, named, are you named after him? Yeah. You said something great about David Chase, so I'm not going to ask that. I was going to ask you to say something great about David Chase. Any memories of your time spent with James that you're comfortable sharing? You know, I, I never worked with James, but being friends with James, just great. Be hanging out on Sunset Boulevard with them before Sopranos, when we were sitting on the roof of this building and, and, having, and having drinks at the Roxbury or some of these bars around here, just laughing with them, regular guy. You <laughs> saw him on both sides of the coin then, right? Pre-success, post-success. What changed? Nothing. He was the same dude with nothing as he was with everything. The sweetest, most humble, loyal friend guy. Sad what happened to him. It's sad. It's tragic. It really is. He was a great guy to most, most people. And if he didn't like you, you must have been a jerk off because he liked a lot of people. He took a lot of his friends. He helped a lot of people. I got nothing but love and respect for James. Back in 94, 95, 96. You get it? So just a great guy. Nothing changed. You know, people make success. They become a jerk, you know, whatever. He was always solid then, and he became solid when he was his biggest star in the world. And that's why he's so loved even now to his past, whatever, you know, his whole, you know, what happened. Yeah. Are you a fan of the show? Did you watch the show? You know, I, I really didn't watch much of it. I don't watch much television. Okay. I'm more of a film guy. I go to the movies, I told you, three days a week. I've yeah. been doing that since I'm 10. Yeah. You know, even now I watch very limited TV and the shows I do watch, like I like Bates Motel. I like The Americans. It was original. It was different. It was a unique take on television. You know, Russian spies infiltrating New York, the Reagan era. It was very interesting, The Americans. Yeah. You know, I guess I wasn't really much of a Soprano fan because that was my life. Like, that's where I was born. It was too close to really... I just didn't... Yeah, like, I'm watching something that I live in, you know? Like yeah. That, that, I, that's my, that was my life, That makes know? a lot of sense. Because for someone like me, it's it was a fly-on-the-wall thing. I get to see a window right. in the world of these guys that I would never otherwise be invited to, have access to. And I to. lived it, and that's my family. Yeah. Most of those got... Most of those real... big Bigger than, you know, like those... But that, that was it. So then I'm going to ask you a question that just came to my head. Was it accurate? Was it accurately portrayed? Yeah, the show was accurate. The yeah. characters were accurate. Everything was accurate. The whole show was. The whole show was accurate, you know. But, like, again, when you, when, when you see stuff that is your life, basically, you know. It's not interesting. It wasn't interesting to me. Okay. And it was a great show. You know, people love it. And I, and I loved, like, the characters. I loved the, the whole. But to watch it and be, to be fortunate enough not to that be my life and to be, again, me be sitting here with you. You know, it's kind of what I pride myself on. Yeah. You know, I literally got away from everybody. And all my buddies are still doing 25. And I love them. I, re I don't regret one second where I came from. That where I came from in the Bronx and in Harlem made me who I am today. Got you to this point. Strong, yeah. aggressive, no take. I don't get rejected. I told you that I go into rooms. No one's going to intimidate me. That all came from being on the streets my whole life. Yeah. I went to fifth grade. You know, I didn't go to school. I learned how to hustle at 13. That's how I know pussy. He owned the bar. We used to go shake him down. He tells a story on his old, we used to do the wise guy show. He'd be, yeah, him and his uncles come in and shake me down. I go, yep. What's the nickname he gave you? Ducky. Ducky, that's yeah. right. Yeah. He <laughs> that said, was my name in the Bronx forever. Yeah. People don't know my real name. Yeah. People are like, yeah, Louie. Uh, they go, Ducky, Ducky. Who's Louie? 
I see it on Facebook, and they're like, Louie's fucking Ducky. They're like, holy shit, you know? Like, a lot of people didn't know my name growing up. That's crazy. They knew Ducky. Was uh, was Frank Renzulli, did you meet him on The Sopranos? You 1993. Okay, we yeah, used so to hang, when I first moved out, that's he, right, okay. an actor named Mike Starr. Yeah. You know Mike Starr? He's in every movie you've ever uh -huh. watched. Yeah, yeah. He was my, he was in the Bronx. He lived. And I used to look out for him because everybody used to bust his balls, right? Hey, Mike, let me in there. And I used yeah. to, so I kind of like, I wouldn't say protected him, but kind of took him in, even though he was, you know, 60, you know, now he's like, you know, Vinny's age, you know. Yeah. But he, I used to tell people, leave him alone. Yeah. Because I knew everyone. Yeah. So we ended up bond making this friendship. It wasn't about acting. It was that he was a good guy, family guy, good right. guy. We ended up becoming, becoming like big brother to me. Yeah. Still is, till yeah. today. 35 years later, 30 years later, he still is. Like yeah. my family. Kind of yeah. like Vinny is. Yeah. They're like family. So Mike Starr, when I moved out here, I didn't know anyone. He took me in. Him and his brother's an actor. His brother's famous. You know, they were two brothers. They were, his brother was Henry Hill's dad in Goodfellas, remember? You're going to be for months. And he whips him with the belt. That was Bo Star. Mike Starr played Fren uh, Frenchie. I'm the Commandant. Remember in Goodfellas? That was Mike Starr. Wow. Dumber and Dumber, the guy who eats the pepper. Yeah. Well, those are family. That's Frankie Renzulli. Frankie Renzulli, Mike Starr, Bo Starr, and Chaz Palmateri lived together in 1981. Frankie helped write in, Bronx. In L.A. Yeah, and Frankie helped write Bronx Tale. There was a whole story on that. That went into layers. I won't even go into that. But is that how he? Is that is that how his path to The Sopranos happened? Like he, this this body of work and these relationships. Like, but he didn't. Chaz kind of took the script and went off. No, no, I'm talking about Frank. Frankie. Frank was always a writer. Yeah, good writer, but he wanted to be an actor early on. Yeah. And that's why, you know, he, but he was a great writer. He came from Boston. He was a street guy. He knew the world. He knew writing. He was a great writer, you know. And Do you uh, know how he connected up with Chase first? I think, uh, no, I don't even, I don't even know that. Okay. But that's how Terry Winters got in because yeah. of Frankie. They were buddies. Oh, okay. And I think Frankie uh, brought Terry in. Okay. But Frankie was the main guy on the show. And then Terry came in. Terry was this beautiful, sweet guy also. Yeah. But Frank, Terrence he, Winter. Yeah, Terrence yeah. Winter's a beautiful, nice, nice, nice guy. Well, when I was doing 24, we won the Emmy, and we beat Sopranos out. That was like the highlight of my career. That's a weird story. But anyway, go back to Frankie. We used to hang out at Priscilla's in, in, in Toluca Lake, a coffee shop. Me, yeah. Mike, Bo, Bobby Moresco won the Oscar for uh, Drive with, with Paul Haggis. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. With I the... did, my first show before... Before Barry Sonnenfeld hired me, I did a show called Easy Streets. Paul, uh, it was Paul Haggis' first show. It was called Easy Streets. Joey Pamelioni, Jason Gedrick, Ken Olin. It was a show that was critically acclaimed to be one of the best shows in history they wrote about. I mean, it was a big deal. And I, I was a recurring on that. And that and, and that's where the whole team used to hang out. But we used to hang out in 93 at the coffee shop and just laugh. None of us had money. None of us just, We were just sitting around in the coffee, busting each other's balls. Awesome. And that's how I knew Frankie. Way before, like eight, eight, 10 years before Sopranos. Yeah, Sopranos didn't come you know, to pilot 90, 98. 99, 98, 99. Yeah. I knew. We used to hang out in 93. Hang out the house, barbecue, bowl. Mike Starr's brother had a house. We would all just go and barbecue. So it happens, right? You find the person with the biggest place and yeah, you just as, crash. And we all did. We would all go there and bust each other's balls and Mike was my family from the Bronx, like Vinny was, and he used to help me come over. Had no money, would take me places, introduce me to everyone. Mike was my boy. Mike is my love. Mike is my family by far. Wrapping up real quick, just a couple of uh, lightning round questions, I guess, if you will. This has been awesome, by the way. I'm so glad we did Thanks, this. Man. What are you doing these days? What are you working on? What's on your plate? I just did a film called Finding Steve McQueen with uh, Forrest Whitaker. 
Oh, Tra- nice. Travis Fimmel, the guy from Vikings, just did that film that's coming out, I think, soon. I just did another movie with Chaz Palminteri in Buffalo called Clover with Ron Perlman and uh, Chaz. I, uh, Chaz was supposed to be on The Sopranos, right? That was he was, was a, he? he was a short-listed guy in the beginning for Tony. Were you aware of that? Oh, I had no idea. Yeah, he was on the he was on the radar at least really? before James Gandolfini wow. was in the mix. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Um, Wait, but there was a story I was going to tell you quick. But yeah. the, with, with the with the twenty four, remember I said I'll get back to that story. It was really interesting. Uh, basically, I'm on Sopranos, so those are my friends and family now. Michael Imperioli, all these guys, they were good guys, right? Yeah. We we're all friends. Yeah, I go off to twenty four, so twenty four. Gets nominated for an Emmy. First year, we lose to a show called Lost. It was a show that was on. We lost Tiny, to that. Tiny little show. I- I'm joking. I'm oh, joking. okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we lost. Lost one. They beat us out. I leave. The next year, we're nominated again for best cast, you know, best whatever, drama, whatever, best whatever. So we're, we're up against Sopranos. We're up against, like, you know, all the, Lost again. So this year, we win. And I'm like, holy shit. So we all go up on stage and in the front row. Are you up there? Yeah. So I'm on stage with like, you know, we have, you know, with Kiefer and everybody, you know, the cast and we're all up there and we're all like, you know, we all, you know, it was amazing. That's like a a career highlight, not life. I have a daughter. My life consists about my family and certain people. That's my life. My life is not being an actor. That's my career. Yeah. My life is my family and stuff. I'm a very, you know, like I believe real stuff. You know, that's Good my distinction. Life. You know, so so that was a pin- the highlight of my career. And I'm sitting on stage and I'm standing there and who's sitting dead front waving at me? James. All the Sopranos were like, go Louie. You know, like I won a, I was like on stage at the Emmys. And Terry came over to me afterwards and like, Louie, I'm so proud of you. Like, yeah, of course, we were all doing the interviews after. Yeah. And it was that's like, I was like, God, I, my family, those guys is how I started. And I got on this show. You're on the and, same team still, though. Yeah. And I won an Emmy because, you know, basically because I was on that show in a way. Yeah. yeah. Was that how I got to the next level? So you just never know these days, you know? You just, you thank God for everything you get. You be happy. You do your best. And you go live your life. You get it? You don't hop on things and you don't go backward. You always go forward. And like I said, Frankie Renzulli told me to do that. I became a cop on 24. I ended up winning an Emmy from that with my with the people who started me out, waving, cheering me on in the front row. So, again, it's like a surreal moment in your career. And you're like, wow, this is great, you know? It's amazing. So there's a lot of crazy stories like that, you know, which I kind of find to be funny. Besides work, which you clearly are super passionate about, what do you enjoy in life? Cooking. Okay. Eating. My privacy. I don't really go out to Hollywood. I really don't hang out with a lot of people. I have a 12-year-old daughter. I'm with her 24-7. There's nothing more important than your kids. A lot of people will sacrifice their career for their children. A lot of people do, and I see it, and I go, how the fuck do you do that? I have no respect for people who do that. If you take your career over your kids or your family, you're a scumbag to me, you know? That's my outlook in life, because I grew up with a strong family, you know? That's the reason I'm here. So, you know, I believe Hollywood is your career. Have a, you know, people, and I see a lot of people who don't really respond, they respond to their career more than their family. Yeah. I have a hard time with that. Yeah. People who do that, you know? What music is currently on heavy rotation for you? 
I listen to music. I like old rap, like Biggie and Tupac and okay. stuff like that. I don't like any of the junk that's out there today. It's okay. too, the same shit. I, you know, when my daughter's in the car, I got to change the station. I'm like, I can't hear this crap. You know, it's the same shit. Then she finally started listening to like the 70s in my stage. And she's like, oh, wow, this is good. Puts on the 90s now. It's like, wow. So I, she kind of swayed away. I go, the today's shit is the same stuff. Yeah. Look at the rap. Look at the same rappers. Tattoos all over their faces. You don't even know the differences. Yeah. They were all, they were all the same looking dude with the same mumbling rap. You could tell the difference between Biggie and Tupac. Oh man, Biggie, Biggie is that's uh, my guy. He's still timeless. My phone man. rings. It's Biggie. That's the, oh, that's that, amazing. Yeah, my thing, you there's know. a there's a video of him on YouTube. You should watch it. I think he's like 16 or 17, and he's in a battle in the street. In the street, yeah, and, in Brooklyn. And before he even has a record yep. deal, oh, I watched that a million times. And it's just like, damn. Yeah. He he destroys the other guy. The other guy just walks yep. off well, the I off the it. frame. I watched it a hundred times. And you you've never heard rap since that. Like that since that. That and, was that was rap, and he was just like one of his own. The the classy, not like the trashy kind of rapper. No. Dress cool, like even no. even Puffy kind of created that cool image of yeah. rapper. Like DMX, I love. I love DMX. Oh yeah, yeah. That, that, I love DMX. I love I love Tupac. When you listen to what they sing about, they're almost they're writing movies with their with their with their songs. Sure, and, you know you could visualize. I can because I come from those kind of worlds. Yeah. So when I hear those people rap it's kind of like wow i grew up like that especially i think i related to biggie so much because it's the same kind of scenario in a way like way he did how he hustled how he did his shit i was the same way yeah you know and shit he talks about is my life oh yeah and i kind of feel he like it talks almost, about it so eloquently too. right it's for so young the lyrics he came up yeah. with yeah but God. you know when you grow up on the streets this is what you learn no one knows what a triple beam is I used to go really I had three of them in my house I, to me it's like normal yeah people go what's a triple beam I go really wow I fucking you know no you know I'm gonna, I'm gonna, gonna, I'm, I'm gonna <laughs> what is a triple beam it's a scale dude a triple beam's a scale gotcha. you're shit out with I tell people not nah, come I'm so good in math I didn't yeah. went to school I learned how to read. I used to read book after book after book. John Madden's books when I was a kid. Yeah. Because I used to love football. Yeah. Football's my passion. Football and cooking. Who do you like for the Super Bowl? Well, I love the Patriots. Patriots are going to blow them out. I bet every game. I bet 100 games a a fucking week. I bet every college game, every NFL game. I had the Saints. That dude hits that. That dude gets that penalty. I'm up. So I I had a $50 bet in the beginning of the year, I bet, to win 500 if the Saints go to the Super Bowl. Tell me I wasn't cursing when they did that. Because they would do that, I win. The Saints, you know, the Saints would have whooped anyone in the Super Bowl because they're one of the best offenses. Like the Rams have a great offense, Chiefs have a great offense, Pats have a good offense, and the Saints do. But the best defense will win with the best offense, and they have the best defense. Yeah, they hold those Rams to nothing. If you were a betting man, would you ever, ever, ever have imagined that Tom Brady would be in his ninth Super Bowl? I love Tom Brady. It's amazing. He's right? my favorite player to ever play the game, and people go, "Oh, they hate him." You hate him? Why? Why you hate? First of all, I'm a Giant fan. We yeah. whooped his ass twice in the Super Bowls. Yeah, I told Patriot fans that. Just put shut, put them right in their place. Yeah. Then I go on and go. Well, I have you. If you don't have respect for a dude who was picked 140th in the fourth sixth round, round, sixth round, yeah. and only came in because Bledsoe got popped, or else he would have never saw the light of day. And he's not the most athletic either. He was a fucking tall, slubby, yeah. schlubby, couldn't yeah. run. I ran faster than Tom Brady, Amazing. and that dude is the. If you don't like him, you're a hater of sports. I don't care what sport you like. Amen. You like Michael Jordan. If you don't like Tom Brady, you're a hater. You know, I'm not a Chicago Bull fan, but how don't you like Jordan? Okay, he's great. How do you not love Tom? You got to realize now, 18 years, he's won with 
got receivers playing DBs. He's 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 played with me and you throwing the ball too, right, dude? Water boys. Right. Water boys. And he's winning. Yeah. And people go, oh, he rigged the game. He's fixed the game. Mm. How the fuck do you fix nine Super Bowls? Shut the fuck no, up. No. Give the dude his props. Yeah. And he's classy. He's training. He don't drink. He don't do drugs. He eats right. How is that guy not a fucking icon to every kid? Because he's a New England Patriot. He wins so much. It's like everyone hates the Yankees. Yeah. Don't hate because they win. Beat us. No. You'll I'll, be the next one. I appreciate it. This guy, I didn't even know who his running back was until the AFC Championship game. This one? Yeah, Michelle. It's only Michelle. They just install they, people. Anyone. They get the job. It's a system. It's the system. It's like the San Antonio Spurs. They right. won five championships because they play a system. You play the system. It's a system. And Brady Brady is, like I said, as a as a football, I played football for years. I love, football's my, I could, I'll sit for hours and talk with football. More than movies and TV. Um. Like I said, when people go, oh, fuck Brady, fuck Brady, I go, hey, man, even if he beat you in the Super Bowl, how do you not respect the player and the system and the game? The yeah. game, the, the underdog that he was to become the greatest ever, that should be an inspiration, you know? Yeah. Haters, to me, are motivators. When people hate on me, I get more motivated. Yeah. And I, do, and I think that's what he does. And I, watch, and, I, and I just started watching his Instagram. And I'll show my daughter, look, look at that. And she'd be like, all right, dude. My buddy used to go, you have a man crush on him. Yeah, I do. Yeah, I, I'd like a Tom Brady, dude. You and me both. Let's, get, out. let's get in line. Yeah. Let's take a number yeah. and get in line. Uh, yeah, he can yeah. fucking throw those passes at me all day. I break my fingers. I'd be like, all right, Tom will cast yeah. on my fingers and shit. You know, we'll end on that note. You mentioned, we talked about system, and it's one of the reasons why the Sopranos is so amazing. It's because it's a well-oiled system. Mm -hmm. Season after season, they had a deep bench. They kept winning. They kept winning. And that's kind of why uh, you just appreciate and respect greatness. Right. And, and you know you know what he did that I was that was genius was most of those actors on that show were all New York independent actors. Yeah, all of them were just an independent actors. Yeah. none of them were big stars. Furio was a painter. Yeah. He wasn't even an actor. Vinny was a bar owner. Yeah, Imperioli was doing bit roles in New York fil independent films. Yes, yeah. you know Sirico doing little extra parts. Yeah, he put this group together. It became a it became a team. Like you would just say, like the a well oiled machine. Well oiled machine, you know, and uh, and led by led by a head coach. Yep. that knew how to work him in a system. And he was almost a Belichick type of coach where he didn't take shit, Chase. That's what I've heard, yeah. You shut the fuck up. You know your lines. You hit your marks. Don't tell me what to do. Don't shut change the, the words. Don't change your words. Do your fucking shit. That's what yeah. Belichick does. You fumble that ball, you're out. Get the fuck off the field. That's why if you notice about the Patriots, they catch every ball. Yeah. I don't care if they're on the ground. They because they don't want to be pulled, and he will pull you. If yeah. You're a star. Get the fuck off the field. You yeah. fumble. You. He don't. That's why they're so. They are so accurate in everything they do. Their catches, their passes, their running, everything. So it's kind of funny. Louis, this has been an honor and a privilege. Oh man, thank you for having me. This is great. You got Thanks me all for psyched up between TV, films, and food and sports. Yeah, love it, man. It's been a pleasure. Thank, thank you. you so much, man. Appreciate it.